All right. You have a Bible, why don't you turn to Hosea chapter 5, verse 15, please. Hosea chapter 5, verse 15 to chapter 6, verse 3. The message I tell the kingdom age for Israel. The marriage of Hosea to Gomer and her unfaithfulness, as well as her restoration, was used by God to illustrate Israel's future restoration to Yahweh. For that reason, the repeated theme about the future and final restoration of Israel is as clear as the midday sun. We first had it in chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, chapter 2, verse 14 through 23, chapter 3, verse 4 through 5, and now we have it here again. Now, whenever God says something one time, pay close attention. When he says it more than once, pay real close attention. As your parents, you know, when you repeat something to your children, it's because you're emphasizing the importance of it and the consequences if it's not carried out, right? It's the same thing. And so we want to look at the um, <clears throat> final restoration of Israel here for the kingdom age, which is described in three ways. Let me read the text here for us. I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offenses. Then they will seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. Come and let us return to the Lord Yahweh, for he has torn, he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live in his sight. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord Yahweh. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and the former rains to the earth. The final restoration of Israel for the kingdom age is described by the three following ways. First, the removal of God from Israel until a particular time, verse 15 of chapter 5. Second, the return of Israel to God at the end of a certain segment of time that will be given to us in verse 1 and 2. And third, the blessing of God on Israel in spite of time, verse 3. The removal of God from Israel till a certain time comes first, verse 15. Notice, God revealed that he would withdraw himself to his throne until Israel, here's the key word, repented. Listen to the words, I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offenses. Yahweh has just stated Israel was going into captivity in chapter 5, verse 14. Forget the chapter division. It follows through to verse 3, the section. God was going to be as a lion. Verse That verse tells us to Ephraim to tear and devour them. But then he also says that God was going to be a young lion to Judah and do the same to her 114 years later, having grown from a young lion to a full lion grown and do the same thing. And that's the picture because there's 114 years before Judah gets her first siege. Now notice Hosea goes from the present condition of Israel's captivity straight into the future kingdom, the kingdom age, without any distinguishing of them. Now, verse 14 
is the present sinful condition of Israel and Judah. Mark it well. Hosea does not deal with the return of Israel from Babylon at this point. Hosea did not say God would remove himself from all the worldly affairs, but only from Israel, having no access to him. The phrase, my place, is simply a metaphor for heaven, the abiding place of God, his throne. Psalm 11.4 and many others, but this one says, The Lord Yahweh is in his holy temple. The Lord Yahweh's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. Because God removed himself from Israel didn't mean he didn't see the evil of Israel from there on. Because people don't know the Lord doesn't mean he doesn't see their evil. But when he withdraws himself, it means he has no relationships with the individual or the nation. That's what he's talking about. Now notice, then in verse 15, is the future fulfillment. So he goes from the present condition to the future fulfillment of Israel's restoration. God would bring his people, the remnant, back from Babylon. That's understood by all the prophets. God would equally deal with the remnant in the time of Jesus. When Jesus walked the earth, God was, Jesus was dealing with them. But Hosea here bypasses all this and jumps into the kingdom age time. So he doesn't deal with those in between times. He jumps right into the Pacific from the present to the future. Now, this is not anything uncommon in the scriptures. You remember Samuel, 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 17. You have the twofold fulfillment of the throne of David. First, short term, Solomon would sit upon the throne. Third, I mean, and secondly, long term, it would be the reign of Jesus on the throne. So short term, Solomon. Long term, Jesus Christ. Nothing uncommon. In fact, Peter preached at Pentecost, quoting the prophet Joel, and he gave the short term fulfillment in the book of Acts, chapter 2, 16 through 21, when he said that this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And then he continues to speak about the pouring of the Holy Spirit, blood and fire and so on and so forth. The moon shall turn blood red and everything. And he goes right into all the way to the outpouring at the end of the tribulation period. Never makes a distinction of it. Short term, long term. So this is nothing new. Hosea, notice, prophesied of a specific future day when Israel would repent of their sins. Listen to the words so you don't miss it. Till they acknowledge their offenses. That's repentance. You repented when you recognize your offense against God. Israel and Judah, as they came out of Babylon, repented, but they again got involved in pagan marriages, had pagan children, and got into idolatry. Ezra 10.44. This is future when this won't happen. Israel, in the time of Jesus, as you know, the leaders were compromising, hypocritical. Jesus rebuked them. Paul wept over Israel for their self-righteous blindness in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. Their offenses here, the word is not just their sins, but the context is their rejection of God and Jesus as their Messiah because he's going all the way to the millennial kingdom. Okay? They had chosen the pagan gods. Turn the back on Yahweh. Syncretism. Saying they still you worship Yahweh in the pagan way. It's wrong. It offends God. Then notice in verse 15 still that God revealed Israel would call on God at a very specific time. Then they will seek my face. In their affliction they will earnestly 
seek me. The specific manner in which Israel would seek the Lord is very picturesque. Look at it real closely. First, the word then. It's a time word indicating a point in future, a specific time, then. The pronoun they refers to the one seeking God. It's limited to who? Only the Jewish nation. That's the context. You can't apply it to anybody else. And the phrase they will seek my face indicates the reconciliation and restored situation of the wife to Yahweh. Homer, uh, not Homer, Gomer, let's do it that way. Gomer, Hosea, Israel, God. Parallel. Now, the metaphor speaks of a genuine, honest, insincere repentance. Not like the one that she's in right now, insincere. The love and passion for God will be exactly that. This is prophecy still in the future. The note of the specific time is unmistakably given to us. It's the great tribulation period, the last three and a half years. Listen to the words. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. The Jews are back in the land, as you know, but they are secular for the most part. Some of you have gone to Israel with us on our trips, and those Jews, boy, they, those tour guys, they, they quote the Bible, New Testament. You, you think they're born again. They're not. They don't want to be, and they're not. <laughs> they're secular. It's a job. In 1948, May 14, they declared their independence for the third time, as you know. From the very first day, right after, hours after they declared it, they were under attack. It has not stopped since. The anti-Semitism in the world and in the United States is growing tremendously. When you can tolerate a nation to say they're going to destroy every Jew, pushing them into the sea... And you don't take that seriously as the world or as a nation that has power to stop it? Something's definitely wrong. The Jews rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah, and they do so still today, with few exceptions which are called completed Jews, Messianic Jews. Jewish families consider a Jew who converts into Christianity as dead when that family member hears of it, they tear their clothes. They're dead to us. This still goes on today. Now, the Jews do not believe in Jesus in the New Testament, as you know then. Jesus told a woman, when his, as he was being led to the cross, listen carefully. Weep not for me, but for yourselves and your children. For the days were coming when they would be saying, Blessed is the womb that is barren. Luke 23, 28-29. Why? Because it was talking about the judgment that was coming to Jerusalem and the Jewish nation under Titus in 70 A.D. For the rejection of their Messiah. So Hosea is going from the rejection here in the northern kingdom. All the way to when they will acknowledge their Messiah. He jumps all that time. All the way to the end. And we find that in scripture often. Jesus declared judgment over Israel. Until his second coming. Listen carefully to Matthew 23, 37-39. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you as children together. 
as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. You were not willing. Do you believe that God predestined this? Then how can you say that God can say you were not willing? If God predestined, then God's at fault for the rejection. Jesus says you're not willing. That means Israel rejected what they shouldn't have. And God gave them the free choice to do so. But there's consequences to free choice, right? You got one or two ways. Which way are you going to go? Then he says, But you were not willing to see. Your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more until you say, Bless he who comes in the name of the Lord. Second coming. For the past 2,000 years, Israel has no relationship to God. There's no priest, there's no sacrifice, there's no temple, there's no blood, there's no forgiveness. How do they do it? They try to away their goods and bads at the end of the year. Whoa. Now notice the affliction that they will earnestly go under. They will earnestly seek Jesus is the Antichrist. Russia will attack Israel. God will destroy her confederacy of Islamic nations. 38 and 39 of Ezekiel. Very, very clear. That will initiate the day of the Lord. That will initiate the rapture of the Satan. Three things happen at the same time. Israel's attack. Rapture takes place. The day of the Lord begins. The seven-year tribulation. It's also called the 70 weeks of Daniel. In Daniel 9.27. But here it, it speaks about their affliction, right? What's it called in Jeremiah 30, verse 7? Jacob's trouble. Seven years. Very, very clear. Israel will make a one-week covenant with the Antichrist, Daniel 9.24 and um, 9.27. And he will build a temple, as you know, in Second Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. And he will enter in, declare himself God, and demand that everybody worship him. And that's when the Jews will understand that they have been deceived by the Antichrist. Because anti has two meanings. Anti in place of the first three and a half years, false messiah. Anti against everything against the last three and a half years. Jesus gave the specific marking. Listen carefully, Matthew 25, 24, 15. When you see the abomination spoken by Daniel the prophet flee to the wilderness. We already talked about the city of Petra. We're going to bring it up again. That's the middle of the tribulation. Tribulation, abomination, desolation, great tribulation. Three and a half, three and a half, equals seven. They'll burn the weapons of war for seven years. Not seven years in one day, seven years. Based on a 360 biblical calendar year. This takes place right in the middle of the tribulation then. As the Antichrist breaks the covenant. Israel will flee to the wilderness. Isaiah 16.1, the city of Petra. Revelation 12.6, the woman flees to the wilderness. God will protect her. Now, if you remember, prime minister of Israel spoke from Jerusalem on July 31st in 206 and told the leaders of the world during the attack of Hezbollah from Lebanon the following. Quote, ladies and gentlemen, it's time you understand the Jewish state will no longer be trampled upon we will no longer allow anyone to exploit population centers in order to bomb our citizens. No one will be able to hide anymore behind women and children in order to kill our women and children. This anarchy is over. You can condemn us. You can boycott us. You can stop visiting us. And if necessary, we will stop visiting you. The size of Rhode Island. 
(laughs) So prophetic. The land and the Jewish people go together like peanut butter and jelly. Twinkies. Left and right hand. You cannot separate the people. What's everybody trying to do? Every American president divide the land. Ooh, be careful. God said the land's mine. I've given it to my people. They have the pink slip. The Old Testament. Wow. Listen, uh, Genesis twelve seven. The Lord appeared to Abraham and he said, To your descendants I will give the land. And there he will build an altar on the Lord. And, as, and he appeared to him. He promised him the land. Genesis thirteen seventeen. It says, Arise, walk in the land through its length, through its width, and I'll give it to you. On Genesis fifteen eighteen, it says, On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants I have given the land from the river of Euphrates, or Egypt, to the great river the Euphrates. So the boundaries are given. Very specific. In Genesis 50, verse 24, And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out this land to the land which he swore by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Deuteronomy 6, 3, before they go into the promised land, the second generation. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly in the, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land which flows with milk and honey. And I will bring them out from the peoples, and gather them from the countries, and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys, and in all the inhabited places of the country. What is it that we don't understand about the land of the people? (laughs) The scriptures do not support the teaching of many Christian universities, seminaries, and churches today. Replacement theology. Replacement theology teaches that God is through with Israel as a nation, as a people. And now we, the church, are the new Israel. Wrong. The scriptures do not agree. Not at all. This stands against the whole teaching of the Bible. Genesis to Revelation. By spiritualizing the scriptures, interpreting them subjectively or figuratively. And so when they read things about Israel, they just say, well, no, God's done, and they put the church in there. On what basis? What authority? That's doing violence to the scriptures. Can't do that. This is an insult to God, often resulting in anti-Semitism. The identity of Israel in the Old Testament is given in many different words. One is chosen. The other one's holy. The other one is beloved. The same identity is given to the church in the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 through 12. But the only connection is their identity to God, his people. One is a wife, having been put away for unfaithfulness through divorce. The other is the bride, a virgin, the church, looking for a wedding. There's a big distinction between a wife that's been divorced and a virgin who's looking for a wedding. Never confuse them. Never change the one for the other. There is no replacement intended, taught, or prophesied in Scripture about Israel. 
None whatsoever. It's the figment of man's imagination, which is anti-Semitic, just as much as the invented history that there was a Palestinian nation or a Palestinian people at one time. Nowhere is it ever found in history. It's invented by the PLO. I'm not going to go into the whole thing. I've got through it another time, so we don't have time this morning. It's an invention. So the removal of God from Israel till a particular time refers to the middle of the tribulation. Jesus made it very clear. Now, notice secondly, the return of Israel to God at the end of a particular time is given in verse 1 and 2. God gave the prophet Hosea the very words of repentant Israel to be recorded. Though some believe that the words of Hosea declaring this. I choose to believe that they are the very words of the people. Either way is not going to mess you up. Okay? I'll give you both. Listen to the words. Come, let us return to the Lord Yahweh, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. The chapter break is unfortunate. The first three verses of chapter 6 go with chapter 5. The three verses are the related response to the remnant of Israel notice in seeking Jesus in the great tribulation particularly as stated in verse 15 of chapter 5. They go together. The words are of the remnant of Israel and God will protect them for three and a half years as I've stated in the city of Petra, Isaiah 16, 1, Revelation 12, 6. You remember that Paul speaking to the Romans in Romans eleven eighteen, he warned the Gentiles about boasting against the root Israel. Lest God cut them off as he cut them off. The Gentiles, you understand? He warns them. God spoke about the day when all Israel will be saved in Romans eleven twenty six. This is the day that Hosea is prophesying about. At the end of the tribulation, from the middle to the end. Now notice the people of Israel will encourage each other to come back to God. Come and let us return to the Lord Yahweh. We're talking about the remnant. The blindness and part of Israel will be removed by God. Their eyes will be opened. Israel will see that they have been deceived by the Antichrist. That's why she flees in the middle of the tribulation. The people give the reason, notice, for their return. For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. Hindsight is 100% accurate. They will understand that it was Yahweh who chastened them through judgment for their past rebellious and evil actions. But equally, they will know what the word of God has to say about the restoration plan for them. When you and I were born again, immediately, with hindsight, we can see why God had nothing to do with us. But immediately, we also knew that he had a plan for us, right? It came by divine intervention and, and, and the illumination through being born again. This is their born again time. This is when they call him the Lord. Notice the proclamation is, is in what they call chiastic balance of the four statements. In other words, he says, for he has torn. The word torn here comes first, but then he will heal us at the end. And then the next one is he has stricken, which balances and crisscrosses, and he will bind us up. So it's kind of, kind of poetical emphasis, okay? Uh, it's not in rhyme or rhythm, but an emphasis of the words and, and, and the concept of healing and, and destroying. 
Deuteronomy 32, 39 says this. Now see that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill, I make alive, I wound, I heal, nor is there anyone who can deliver out of my hand. God is sovereign. He does everything, and he does it absolutely perfect without violating his holiness. He never makes a mistake in judgment. Don't you wish that was you? (laughs) We are flawed. When I think I'm so right, I am so off the wall. Sometimes I just don't have all the factors. Like trying to balance your checkbook with one check missing. You can guess, but you're never going to hit it. Job says the same thing, Job 5.18. For he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. It's the goodness of God, the grace of God, the patience of God. Notice also in verse 2. God gave the prophetic words of the time regarding Israel. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will uh, raise us up that we may live, here's the key, in his sight. Some have interpreted the two and third day to indicate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it's hard for me to believe that this is truly a prophecy regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ because Jesus would have indicated it. He never did. He pointed out the scriptures of his resurrection, Isaiah, different things like that. Now, if Jesus did not indicate it to be about the resurrection, which one of us have the right to say it is? Now, Paul and Peter and the guys, they were under inspiration. They said, this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel. And they just yanked it out of there. We would have never known that. But they were inspired by the Spirit. I'm not in a prophetic way that I'm adding to Scripture. So therefore, my opinion means nothing. If I can't find this to be the resurrection of the New Testament, then I I need to be quiet. Because that's not what it's speaking about. Others have interpreted the two and three days to indicate former and future captivities. So through these interpretations, you can see how clever we are. Well intended, but wrong sometimes. The captivity first, Egypt. Now, they say the first one, First day is Egypt, captivity. The second, Babylon. And the third, the Roman captivity. Now, the problem is that this is prophecy. And the Egyptian captivity is looking backwards. Prophecy doesn't go backwards. It goes forward. Second, the position of the nation of Israel under Rome was never prophesied as a captivity in Scripture. Ever. Third, God did not revive Israel during the Roman subjugation, which would be a better word, because they were able to rule themselves under the subjugation of Rome as long as they didn't create any trouble. But they weren't revived. Now, they would have been revived. Jesus wanted to revive them, but they rejected. They refused to be revived. So judgment was pronounced over them. And still others have interpreted the two and three days, or the third day, to indicate three temples. Temple of Solomon, Temple of Zerubbabel, and the one the Messiah will build during the Millennial Kingdom that we've studied in the past. Again, the problem is the restoration by Zerubbabel was not a second temple. It was still the Temple of Solomon. The extension and beautification of Solomon's Temple by Herod is bypassed, but again, it's the same temple, Solomon's Temple. 
so it doesn't fit. Then others have attempted to interpret the two days and the third day as literal thousand years by using a verse out of Peter that says, one day is a thousand years and one thousand years is one day to the Lord in Second Peter 3.8. So since it has been about 2,000 years since the first coming of Jesus Christ and the scattering of Israel in judgment, without a homeland until 1948, they teach that the two days mean the 2,000 years fulfillment. And they teach the two days will, the third day, he will revive them after that, which would be the millennial kingdom, the kingdom age. Now, the problem is that the text in Peter only says that God lives in an eternal present. That's all it's saying. One day is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. God lives outside of man's time domain. We're, gu- we're guided by past, present, and future. And God is outside of man's time domain. So all it's saying is that God lives in an eternal present. But secondly, the text of Peter is not an interpretive formula for prophecy. It's not given for that. So I believe it's wrong. The important thing to note is here, the context. The context is still the last half of the tribulation of verse 1. So context is very important. The proclamation as after two days he will revive us in order to establish the kingdom age. This is confirmed by the purpose clause that we may live in your sight. When does that happen? During the kingdom age. When Jesus comes back, second coming, destroys the, ba- the armies of the battle of Armageddon, sets up the judgment of the nation, separates the sheep from the goat, then he sets up the kingdom. Israel reigns. Therefore, I believe the reference to the two days could indicate there are two captivities still in the future. I could be wrong. But because of the context, I'm going to try to limit to what the prophet is telling us. He's proclaiming captivity for the northern kingdom, Assyria, in 722. And he's also declared the judgment of Judah 114 years later under Nebuchadnezzar. 606 B.C., 596, 586, the final one. Those are the two captivities. I believe they fit better. Notice three important things here. First, after two days he will revive us. It's the future tense. So the two captivities fit. Second, the third day will be ra- he will raise us up also the future tense, which is the kingdom age. And third, that we may live in his sight, definitely confirming that this is the millennial, which is still in the future. So the context fits better this way. All three are still in the future as prophecy. All three factors indicate the spiritual revival and restoration of the remnant of Israel after being brought back from Petra in the wilderness over on the other side in Jordan to live in the kingdom age with Jesus after the second coming. Isaiah 16, 1 through 4, and Ezekiel 35, 36, and 37. Now, 
You remember the first church council when they were trying to force the Gentiles to be Jews and be under the law? And Paul didn't tolerate it as they came back from Antioch. Listen to the words of Simon Peter. Acts 15, 14 through 17. This will illustrate the point. Listen. Simon has declared how God, this is James speaking up, at first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David. That's Israel. Which has fallen down, I will rebuild its ruins, I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord Yahweh, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord Yahweh, who does all these things. The order, the church, and then when God removes the church, he focuses on Israel once again to establish the kingdom. The first church council declared it. Very, very clear. The prophet Ezekiel predicted the restoration of the land. In the nation of Israel, if you were with us in our study of Ezekiel, specifically chapter 33 down to 39. Let me give you some verses there in parts. Ezekiel reveals the personal responsibility of the watchman to warn and the individual to respond in repentance in chapter 33, verse 1 through 38. Everybody is responsible individually. Nobody can respond for somebody else. Also, Ezekiel warned of the judgment of the shepherds to feed themselves. And that's what they were doing. They would be replaced with the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. In Ezekiel 34, verse 1 through 30. Ezekiel declares also judgment on the mountains of Seir. That's Edom on the Transjordan side. And the enemies of Israel and the blessings upon the mountains of Israel in preparation of their last day restoration in the land. And that's very clear in 35, verse 1, all the way to chapter 36, verse 15. And then Ezekiel focused on the restoration of the land with particular details in Ezekiel 36, verse 16, all the way to 37, 14. The reason for Israel's dispersion was given to us in 36, 16, and 21. Two things, ready? First, they defiled the land and they profaned his name. That's why God gave them up. Idolatry, which led them to adultery physical adultery and they profaned his name the description of the final restoration by the new covenant new heart and the new spirit then is given in Ezekiel 36 22 to 32 that's still future the Israel right now they don't believe in Jesus they're not born again it's the exception that a Jew be born again the effects of the restoration are to be like the garden of Eden in Ezekiel 36 33 to 38. Now, I've been over there all kinds of times, over well over 20-some times. I mean, it's a lot better than it was prior to 48, but it's not the Garden of Eden. Okay? <laughs> Far from it. The restoration is confirmed by the vision of the Valley of Dry Bones, if you were with us in our study of Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. As God puts His Spirit in the nation, and they are called... They call on the Lord and they're born again. The, God tells the prophet Ezekiel, can these bones live again? He says, Lord, you know. And he saw the Spirit of God poured out and bones and sinew and muscle coming together and the nation stood up. Now they're in the land, but the Spirit has not been poured out. They haven't called on the Lord. That will happen at the middle of the tribulation to the end. Ezekiel will reveal the nation of Israel being one by joining the two sticks of Joseph and Ephraim 
the covenant of peace in Ezekiel 37, 15 through 38. His tabernacle shall dwell with them, verse 27 says there. The nation will know the Lord sanctified Israel when his sanctuary is in their midst forever, verse 28 says, forever. So the kingdom age is set up and Israel is with God forever and we are reigning with him and we're with him forever. But there's two distinct ones, a wife and the bride he marries, right? The wife's been put away by divorce, reconcile, the bride is looking for a wedding, right? Forward. Now, the attack of Russia is in the latter days, very specifically, with, and what seems to be, as I said, an Islamic confederation um, as the Jews are in the land. But God will defeat that army supernaturally. Ezekiel 38 and 39 are very clear. They will pour down supernatural flooding of rain, great hailstones, 200 and some pounds. You don't, you don't want to get hit with that. Uh, fire and brimstone, supernatural like in the days of Joshua. God will fight for Israel. And so the return of Israel to God at the end of a certain segment of time here refers to the great tribulation, the last three and a half years. It's unmistakable. Which leads us to the blessing of God on Israel in spite of time. Okay? Verse 3. Look at the first part of 3. A new heart. The new heart of the remnant of Israel in the kingdom is given to us. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord Yahweh. The Jew will long and desire to know and pursue the knowledge of Yahweh. The expression, let us know, is evidence of the regenerative state of the remnant of Israel. Not all Israel, not every Jew, but the remnant. Not by predestination, without free will. Because if God selected a few and rejected the others while everybody deserves hell, then God cannot be holy, he cannot be good. It's impossible. They're both biblical, Predestination, free will. How they work, we'll find out when we get there. But don't lean to the one at the expense of the other. Because it's like driving on the freeway. You start driving by Braille, you get in another lane, get back in. Stay in the middle. The desire experience is indicated by the word no. Yada. To learn, to perceive by personal experience. Like a marriage. It's far different from being boyfriend or girlfriend. Or just friends. The passion is indicated by the word they pursue to follow or run after and secure what one is pursuing. This is an accomplished fact in the, at the end of the tribulation into the millennial kingdom. And the object is the knowledge of the Lord Yahweh. Notice that a personal living relationship with Jesus Christ as their Messiah. The first coming, they rejected him. The second coming, they will embrace him. Very, very clear. Listen to the prophet Isaiah. He gives us a glimpse into the period of the millennial kingdom. Isaiah uh, chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. The context um, um, being the millennial is, is undeniable. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days um, that the mountain of the Lord Yahweh's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Are all nations flowing to Jerusalem now? <laughs> Are you kidding me? 
To attack it maybe, but... The similar words are unmistakable. Listen carefully. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us. He, Messiah, will teach us His ways. And we shall walk in His paths for out of Zion. That's Israel. That's right in the mountain there where we go to Golgotha. Shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord Yahweh from Jerusalem. Not Burbank, not Long Beach, but Jerusalem. Isaiah fifty four thirteen. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and grace shall be the peace of your children. The Jew, the nation of Israel. In those days and at that time, says the Lord Yahweh, the children of Israel shall come, they and their children of Judah together. No longer divide a nation. One, with continual weeping they shall come and seek the Lord their God. Jeremiah 50, verse 4. What is it that we don't understand about Israel? That God's still going to deal with Israel. How can they teach that God is done with Israel? You've got to ignore so much of the scriptures. Now notice the new relationship of Jesus to the remnant of Israel in the kingdom is given to us. The one indicated is none but the Lord Jesus. His going forth is established as the morning. The nature of the millennial is the reign of Jesus on earth by the phrase, his going forth is established. This indicates his absolute sovereign reign as Lord of Lords and King of Kings as he comes back in the second coming, Revelation 19.16. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Revelation 21, 24. So when God establishes the kingdom, and Jesus Christ ruling, he establishes the kingdom, all the nations have to come once a year to pay homage to Jesus. If they don't, they get no reign. Now, if you were with us in our millennial study, you remember that, okay? The nature... Of the commencement of the millennial period is indicated by the simile as the morning. A simile is introduced always by one of two words, like or as. When you say he ran fast as lightning, that's a simile. It doesn't mean that he is fast as lightning or he did run as fast, but they says he's fast. And you compare him to lightning so you know it's fast. Okay. So here, as the morning, there's a start of a new day. There's a starting, there's an end of this thousand year period. The day of salvation for Israel. The literal length of the kingdom is clear. And yet people still deny it. Let me show you how many times word 1000 is, is recorded for us. Revelation 20 verse 2. He laid hold of the dragon... That serpent of all who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. Revelation 20 verse 3. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be relieved for a little while. 
He continues in Revelation 20 there. He says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus Christ and the word of God. That's during the tribulation. Who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their forehead or their hand. And they live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. Revelation 20 verse 4. Revelation 20, verse 5, But the rest of the dead did not live until the thousand year was finished. This is the first resurrection. Revelation 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Revelation 7 and 8, the last one. Now then, when a thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations, which is the four, in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sands of the sea. Now, what is it that we don't understand about the thousand years? Do you think it's figuratively? Do you think it's just spiritual? A thousand years, over and over again. And yet people will deny it that there will be no kingdom age. They're called amillennialists. You put an A before a word, it negates it. We live in an amoral society. Denying morals. Notice the Lord Jesus will pour out then his blessing on Israel at that time. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter, and the former rain to Listen, the earth. Right here, literally on the earth. It's going to be done just like previous to the fall. The lamb will lay down with the lion. Right now, the lamb is in the lion. Okay? If you put them together. In the kingdom, the lamb and the lion will lay down together. A little kid will lead a lion and be playing with a poisonous serpent. Nothing will happen. Can't wait. It's the only time you find me on a horse, probably. Okay? Now... Notice the language is familiar words to the remnant of Israel. They're Jews. It refers to God's providential blessing. In fact, let me give you sex. The text in Leviticus 26, verse 4 and 5. Then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce, its trees yield its fruit. Your threshing shall be till the time of the vintage. And the vintage shall last till the time of sowing. And you shall eat bread to the full and dwell in the land safely. The early, the latter rains. In Leviticus, the promise that they obeyed. In Deuteronomy eleven fourteen, Then I will give you the rain for your land. In the seasons, the early rains and the latter rains. That you may gather in your grain, your new wine, and your oil. So as long as they walk with God in obedience, God was going to bless them. When they didn't, God would remove those blessings. In the book of Amos, God says, Okay, listen, I reigned here. And I held rain from you, and all you did is send people to get water and bring it back. But you did not repent. I rained partly here, not partly here, and you went and you're seeking around, and you came back, but you did not repent. And he goes on and on and on. You did not repent, did not repent. Then he says, behold, prepare to meet your God. Not to shake hands for judgment. Because God cut off the rain that he might get their attention to repent. But they just shined him on. They ignored it. It is a strange way for God to deal with man in judgment, Isaiah says. He would much rather forgive. God is very reluctant to judge you or me. He wants to forgive. 
But there is a point, there is a line where God knows where that God and all the love can do nothing once we cross it if we refuse to repent over and over and over again. That is very, very clear in Scripture. The covenant of God with Israel had two sides. Cursings and blessings. Deuteronomy 27, 28. Always remember those two chapters when you're reading the judgments of God. Blessings and cursings. Deuteronomy 27, 28. The other important text is always Leviticus 26. Those three chapters are the blessings and cursings. The conditional covenant. Israel will enter the kingdom and be one with her Messiah finally. Look at three there. She will receive all her promises, blessings of the boundaries of the land, the fulfillment of the kingdom age promised to her from the Old Testament. The Gentiles will serve the Jew during the, great, during the, the kingdom age, if you were with us in our study of the kingdom age. It is for Israel. Listen, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord, Hosea 2.20. Future. Then I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord Yahweh. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And they shall return to me with their whole heart. Jeremiah 24, 7. Future. Didn't happen after Babylon. Didn't happen in the days of Jesus. It's the millennial kingdom at the end of the tribulation. Listen to Micah 4, 2. Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. To the house of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. And we shall walk in his path. For out of Zion the law shall go forth. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. There it is again. You'd have to ignore all these scriptures ladies and gentlemen. Paul says I have not shunned to give you the full counsel of God to the Ephesian elders. You must study Genesis to Revelation. You can't just concentrate on the New Testament. The new interprets the old. The new is concealed in the old and the new reveals the old. Scripture interprets scripture. God prophesied about Israel's captivity in Egypt. 430 years. Accurate to the day. God said, you're going to go in for 70 years into Babylon. Accurate to the day. Is it any surprise that God could give us here the exact amount and the exact period for Prior to the kingdom age, seven years? No. He knows the end from the beginning. Listen to the simple principle that applies to anybody, including Israel. For thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite, humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Isaiah 57, 15. If a person hears the gospel of Jesus Christ and they agree with God that they are enemies of God under the wrath of God and deserve God's wrath and they acknowledge that God died for them and paid the price of their sin, they can call on the name of the Lord. That means you've humbled yourself. You see yourself as deserving hell, but you see the love of God who wants to save you. That's who God deals with. Not with the arrogant person that says, I think I can pass God's judgment. I'm not such a bad person. No, you're not bad. You're horrible. No, you're not good. You're good for nothing. You must believe what Jesus did for you. He died in your place. But it doesn't save you against your will. 
You must make that choice. Listen to the scriptures very clear about the new heart, the new spirit. Ezekiel eleven nineteen and 20 says, Then I will give them a new, one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and take the stony heart out of their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes, and keep my judgments, and do them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Ezekiel eleven nineteen twenty. 20. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will clean you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and and, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Now, this is the same chapter, 36. He's going to go on over and over again in 38, 39. Why God keep repeating? He wants them to know that he's going to deal with them once again. Ezekiel. 39:29 And I will not hide my face from them anymore, for I shall have poured out my spirit to the house of Israel, says the Lord. He shall pour it out. Zechariah 12:10 says, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me. Whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. They will look, they will realize we crucified our Messiah. Wow. What a horrible thing, but what a sweet thing at the same time as the wife is restored back to God. Let me give you one more. Sing, O heavens. Be joyful, O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains. It's going to be a glorious day. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy on his afflicted. But Zion says, the Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forsaken me. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Isaiah 49, 13-16. <laughs> now, do you believe in replacement theology? How can you? It's impossible. The blessing of God on Israel in spite of time refers to the millennial kingdom. And so Hosea has described the final restoration of Israel in the kingdom age. Characterized by the removal of God from Israel till a particular time which refers to the middle of the tribulation, abomination of desolation. The return of Israel to God at the end of the specific segment of time refers to the Great Tribulation, the last three and a half years. And the blessing of God on Israel in spite of time refers to the Millennial Kingdom, a thousand years. Hosea the prophet lays it out for us. Comparing scripture to scripture, seeing God's clear plan 
We get many diesel, but there are other diesel. With, but we have enough to be able to put it together. We can see what is going to take place. And so, I don't know your position, your beliefs towards Israel, but I, I hope that you've, you've been squared away. <laughs> Educated on how God feels about Israel. God calls Israel the apple of his eye. Don't put your finger in God's eye. Ooh. You, you would be better off trying to put your finger in a pit bull's eye. That would be preferable. Don't touch Israel. God will take care of Israel. Father, thank you for your grace and love, your goodness. Thank you for your word, and we thank you for just your grace over our life. Lord, the understanding that you give us through your word, that we um, be lined up with you, and to know that you are on our side. Not that we're on your side, but that you are on our side, Lord. And so we pray even for those that are here now, Lord, perhaps did not know you over the Internet as well as here. You would allow the, those who are, have an open heart to see their need of you, Lord, their position of hostility towards you, your wrath upon them. But you have died for them and paid the price that they will call upon you, that you will save and forgive them. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God has brought you here to be saved. Only you can ask God to save you. He doesn't force you. No one can save you for you. <laughs> no one can call upon him for you. It's your decision. And if you see yourself in need of Christ, then right now, this is your prayer of repentance. Not to us, but to the Lord. And he will save you, transform your life right where you sit right now, by grace through faith. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.